Hello and welcome to season two of How to Win Arguments with Numbers. We look at how statistics can inform our understanding of the human world. I am your host, Jack Bridgewater. Today we talk to Professor Amanda Bittner from Memorial University about leaders of political parties. It seems like they matter to democracy, but do voters actually take notice and has their importance increased over time? Okay, so thanks so much for joining us, uh, Amanda. If you could begin by just telling us a little bit about your work in general, and then we'll get on to the uh, theme of party leaders after that. Sure, great. Thanks for having me. Um, most of my work uh, is, I'm a public opinion scholar. I study voting behavior, participation, uh, attitudes, that kind of thing. Um, I've been doing it for a while now, and so some of the projects that I've worked on over time have changed slightly, um, but I do some work on party leaders, number one, but I also do some work on measurement in particular and, and questions about how we measure key concepts that we use in, in political behavior, um, including concepts that are as basic as gender. So a lot of the work that I've been doing lately has been looking at how we measure gender, what gender is, how it relates to sex, and how we can measure it better in survey research. Um, and then I've also done a bit of work on institutions and kind of representation in political institutions. So less of the kind of opinion survey research, still focusing on data, but looking at kind of patterns of representation in legislatures. Okay, great, thanks. Um, so moving on to your work on party leaders then. So I think party leaders is a really interesting topic in political science, because I would say to the outside observer, it seems very intuitive that party leaders um, would would matter and would matter a lot. But what does the research tell us on that? Is is that the case? Um, well, research differs, um, and I think you're right that it seems like an obvious thing to regular people. And if you were to ask your grandmother or your sister or your or your friend or whoever that you meet in the street, whether or not they think that party leaders matter, they would say, well, obviously, and, and move on from there and wonder why you're even asking them something so obvious and, and, and sort of clear to them as voters or as citizens if they're not voters. Um, I think where the, the sort of difference emerges is amongst academics. And so I think it's also the case that parties and um, sort of party organization in the media assume that leaders matter, and I think that they operate as if they do. Um, and part of the reason that leaders, that I think, do matter is because of those things, right? So it's not just that leaders matter in a vacuum. They matter because we make them matter in the way that we construct elections and campaigns and cover them and things like that. Um, so the question, though, is, you know, so do they matter? Yes. Do they matter the most of all the factors we think about when we think about an election and the decision-making process? No. Um, and usually scholars who are skeptics of whether or not leaders actually make a difference are the ones who say, well, you know what, the economy matters more, partisanship matters more. And once you account for those kind of two key factors, it doesn't really matter what else you throw into the mix because we can predict elections from way back in the day anyway. So why worry about party leaders? They're kind of transient and they play a role, but a tiny role that doesn't really matter that much. So the question is more not about do they matter at all? It's about how they matter and in what ways do they matter? And there's a lot of disagreement about that. What has your research um, what has your research told you about whether they do matter and what role they play in in people's decision making so I, I think if I was to summarize it in a couple of sentences, I would say number one 
leaders do matter. Um, they play a role in the kind of vote calculus that regular voters make when they head to the ballot box. Um, and they voters make decisions based partly on who the leaders of parties are. Um, is the leader the only thing they consider? Absolutely not. Um, but if you think about the role of the leader, um, I would say that after you take account, take into account the economy and partisanship, it is one of the larger factors that plays a role in the minds of voters, certainly larger than sociodemographic variables and certainly larger than, for the most part, attitudes about political issues. So I think we like to think that, you know, leaders don't matter because voters take an, into consideration policy platforms, parties, the things that they say they're going to do, but really not so much. And, and surely there's, um, you know, it, even more of an incentive to follow what leaders are, are saying and doing more than the policies themselves? One of the things that um, people do as scholars when they're sort of sad about the role of leaders or lamenting the role of leaders is this idea that, you know, in a healthy democracy that functions well, voters should be thinking about policy platforms and making decisions based on information that they are gleaning and focusing on and thinking about and weighing and debating and so on and so forth. So people see, scholars often see leaders as being a kind of frivolous consideration, kind of like the way we like to make jokes about millennials, you know, eating avocado toast instead of buying houses, this idea that, that people are frivolous, right? So those two things have become more clear to me as being a, the same kind of judgment um, without about the fact that there's more to all of what we do than just that. So if it's the case that most voters don't think about issue attitudes or don't think about issues and policies in their vote choice because of thinking about other things like perceptions of leaders and so on, that's a terrible thing, according to these democratic sort of theorists, because this means that democracy is not healthy, because a healthy democracy has folks debating and discussing and, and contemplating issues, right? Um, but what I found in my research was that the most educated, the most informed, the most politically active citizens or voters are the ones that look at leaders the most. Is this something that research has shown uh, is increasing? Do people take leaders into consideration more? now than they used to, or um, is, is it static? So if, I feel like you know my work right now because uh, this is my next project right now. So take a look at this, at the personalization or presidentialization literature, which talks about the increasing importance of party leaders over time. Um, and so that's a, a rich literature that's got lots of, of data and lots of analyses that have been connected around the world, looking at the role of leaders and looking at the role of leaders in comparison to other things. Um, and so what I'm embarking on right now is a large um, multi-year, multi-country study that looks at this question in more detail. So do leaders matter more today than they used to? And there's reasons we think that they might because, for example, media focuses on leaders more. TV exists now in a way that it didn't, you know, 80 years ago. So we have reasons to expect that voters' considerations have changed over time and that leaders maybe matter more now. Um, and so, you know, I'm not totally sure about the answer to that. I think there's a lot of studies that conflict. And so some say, yes, they matter more. Others say, no, they don't matter more. But similarly in the personalization literature, as in the other literature on leaders' traits, some say they matter and some say they don't. There's always a lot of disagreement. My hunch 
is that leaders have always mattered. And I say hunch because I'm just beginning this process. So I've done some data analysis for so far five countries across, I'm trying to think of how many elections it is. I wanna say 50 elections across these five countries. And what I have found is very sporadic evidence of this kind of trajectory of increasing importance. So at this point, and I'm still entering more data into my um, analysis and, and doing some more work on this question, um, I think leaders have always mattered. And I just think that our ability to measure this has been challenging in the past. And so we're getting better about measuring it. And as a result, you know, we could increasingly have more information about the role of party leaders in elections. But I don't believe for a second that, you know, even thinking back long, long time ago, I don't believe that Eisenhower wasn't important to his party's success. Like, not even for a moment do I believe that. So I just think it's the way we think about things, the way we measure things. I think that leaders are important. I think they always have been. Are they more important? I, I don't think so. But I also am not sure. So I don't want to be too definitive on that. And I suppose there also could be a differentiation between... Um, evaluation of leaders and then how that whether that translates to voting behavior right so I guess I, you, I would point to the recent US election where Donald Trump was extremely unpopular in terms of evaluations and so was Hillary Clinton yet people still voted basically along party lines right there was some switching of course but more or less people voted uh, and, and I guess I mean you can kind of expand on this but I suppose the US is is a weird example because partisanship is, is stronger there than it is in a lot of other countries but do you think that could be the case that maybe how we react to leaders has changed but actually the ties between traditional factors of why people vote um, the ties between that and voting are so strong that the leaders aren't kind of don't always come into the final decision um, so I would say, I guess, maybe two things in response to that question. I would say, first of all, I would hate to generalize from the particular, and especially the particular of Donald Trump. I'm not sure that he presents any kind of norm um, of the way that elections and campaigns traditionally normally teach a course on political scandals and the effects that has um, on campaigns and voters. And I remember teaching this course during the 2016 American election and just thinking to myself, my goodness, this man, what is he doing? This, you know, it, it, he's breaking all the rules of what you would expect to be appropriate behavior for a presidential candidate, but also all the rules of what you would expect to be successful campaigning. Um, and he still won, right? So it's kind of confounding in that sense. Um, so maybe the rules are wrong or maybe he's special. I, I often like to refer to him as like the Teflon president where he's just, everything slips off him, no problem. Um, even though it's probably still today, if there was a different candidate, it, he would be evaluated or she would be evaluated differently. And I think that, you know, I hate to make too much of a, a big deal over Trump in that particular election. But I do think that your question about whether or not, you know, so if it's the case that people evaluate leaders in a particular way or they don't like them for whatever reason and they still vote for them, that this is somehow a sign that leaders don't matter. And I, I guess... Yeah. You know, I think that's an interesting question, and I think a lot of the literature talks about this, that, you know, unless leaders are decisive in winning the elections or unless the election turns on their leadership, then we don't really have a sense that leaders matter. But I don't think that 
that's really right. Um, I think that they can matter and they can shift votes at the margins, right? So imagine if he had been a popular president, he might have won both the Electoral College and the popular vote, right? So the fact that he wasn't so popular but still won is more of an institutional story, I think, than it is one of voters' decision-making. Um, and, I, and I wonder... You know, and this is why it's fun to research this stuff, right? Is to look at specific elections and specific leaders for specific parties over time and see the different kinds of effects that they have on voters and the kinds of effects they have on different types of voters, right? So, for example, an example I always give is, you know, comparing the less informed or less engaged, less politically active voters to those who are more informed, more engaged. And, and there's differences in the way that they perceive leaders and in the way that they integrate leaders into their um, decision-making process. Uh, and I think that's super neat. Um, and the same thing is true, I suspect, for looking at different kinds of demographic groups across um, across individual countries and probably even across countries, right? But this is what makes it fun to look at and say, okay, well, leaders matter fine. In what ways and for whom and by how much? So how much do they shape elections? And, you know, I think that the answer to that is somewhere between, let's say, 2 and 10%, depending on the election. So you might, you know, win or lose by that much based on leaders' personalities. And I think that that's not, you know, tiny. So it makes them worth studying. Yes, that's interesting. So in uh, uh, um, taking into consideration what we already know, um, if you could kind of design the perfect context for where a leader would matter, what what would that look like? What what electoral system would that country have? What, what kind of historical things would mark it out? Um, you know, what would that look like? That's a great question. So uh, <laughs> as an academic, I and one who is, you know, maybe conservative on a certain level, um, I wouldn't want to make grand sweeping statements about the kind of perfect setting for a leader to actually matter. I think that they there are reasons to expect them to matter more, for example, in a um, an electoral system that is let's say proportional, um, just because the list is what matters, the leader shapes the list and the leader's at the top of the list. And so the face of the party should matter more. One would expect in that context. Um, one might also expect that in a, I mean, it's, you can think about party systems, two-party versus three-party versus multi-party systems. Do they matter more in some versus others? Maybe. I mean, there's evidence to show that leaders matter less. So leaders of smaller parties matter less in the minds of voters. And I think that's really about viability. Um, so leaders of major parties tend to matter more because they have a chance at being in office. So I guess what I would say is that it's there's so many different moving parts in an election that, you know, different contexts over time in different places um, with different combinations of electoral system, party systems, uh, media outlets, and things like that would contribute to a situation in which leaders matter more. So if the media doesn't cover leaders, for example, then they're probably going to matter less in the minds of voters because voters have had less exposure to them. Um, there's also evidence that shows that as voters become more comfortable with a particular leader, so if a leader runs in more than one election over time, voters get to know them, they get more comfortable with them, and they often tend to cut them a bit more slack, it seems. And so they tend to do better over time. Um, whether or not that's always true, I suspect it's not. But, you know, I think on average, little patterns do emerge like that. So it could um, 
so it could that's interesting right so it could be that this um phenomenon of um and you can kind of tell me whether this is is true or not i'm not sure but it seems to me like uh leaders resign quicker these days if they lose elections so if i think of uk elections past there are leaders that lost elections and went on to fight previous elections whereas in more recent times if you lose you quit right so it it, it could be um and i actually think here there is a parallel with football managers or what you would call soccer um football managers if they fail now they are automatically fired whereas i think previously they were given a lot more chances so it could be then that actually parties are too short-tempered with leaders and that they should give them more time to form relationships with the voters yeah i think that's fair i do think that's fair i mean i think about too so much of it is about familiarity and about name recognition as well right so you know i think that there's a lot of reasons why parties are smart to get rid of leaders in certain kinds of contexts especially if they want to signal you know a change in policy trajectories or if they want to signal some kind of major change in the party and things like that it makes sense um but sometimes voters don't want major party change um sometimes voters are just mad about one small thing that's happened and they'll get over it and then they'll move on um but there's lots of evidence that you know um candidates will need in uh, context running for Congress, who lose on their first try, if they go again, odds are good they're going to have a higher chance. Like the more they try, the better they will do because of the name recognition factor in itself. You know, obviously thinking about candidates of a party in a particular district is different from thinking about the lead party in kinds of principles are kind of at play in that voters are trying to understand from a complex landscape of choices. You know, I, I could try and use terrible metaphors involving food and menus and restaurants, but it would just get confusing, I think. But I think trying to navigate all that for a voter is complicated. And so the more that they can say, oh, I really want a hamburger, so no which one is a hamburger is going to do wonders um, for voters. And so parties can benefit from that familiarity. Um, and I mean, my research that looks at familiarity and party leaders over time is based on Canadian data. And so I'm not sure if that extends to other contexts, especially contexts with different kinds of electoral system, because surely in a closed list system, it doesn't matter about name recognition that much. Um, what matters more is the party and the face of the party overall. Um, but in, you know, in systems that have multi-district um, elections, I think it makes sense to have familiarity and um, have some return of candidates. All brand new is very confusing for voters in the same way that, you know, um, nonpartisan elections are confusing for voters. You know, like if you think about municipal elections in many places around the world, they don't have parties. Um, voters have a hard time navigating that. OK, no, that makes sense. So in terms of where you see this research going, so kind of I'll ask, ask kind of two questions now. So one, what would you what do we not know or do we know less about that you would like to know? And two, you know, in, in political science now, experiments are very popular, um, lab experiments, survey experiments, natural experiments. Branching out from observational data, are, are there any other kind of interesting 
methodological things that we could, we could now do to test uh, people's reactions to leaders? Yes, so I think that's a great question. Um, and, and thinking about how to look into this stuff in more detail is, is one of the funner parts of my life as a nerd, I guess. <laughs> but I mean, I guess one of the things that I would say that we don't know a lot about, but that we can increasingly know more about is the role of gender in perceptions of leaders. So not thinking about the gender of voters, although I think that matters as well, but thinking about the gender of leaders. So if we have, you know, a woman leader, I don't know, hypothetically, you know, who's been in a party for a very long time and, you know, runs for president and we have a male leader who is an outsider and doesn't have a long party track record history, but is a fairly well well-known figure, how might that pan out and how much of that story is about gender? Um, and for a long time, we've had so many leaders who are just men that, you know, or a few examples of leaders like Margaret Thatcher, um, who are outliers. And so getting any real sense of the role of gender in perceptions of leaders has been challenging in the past. Um, and so that's one area that I'm interested to because I think there's more data now. I mean, we've got more female leaders, both at national and subnational levels. So thinking about kind of state politics or provincial politics or, you know, in federal systems, you can you can kind of tap into the data a little bit more in that sense and get some answers. Um, so I think that's something that is definitely worth doing. Um, I think that survey experiments and other kinds of I love experiments. Um, I've done some experiments recently that I'm still working on on writing up in some surveys. And so I embedded some different different questions and kind of randomized who received different. So pictures, does the way a leader look impact the way voters perceive them? Um, and so just embedding different kinds of pictures to see what kind of impact that might have on perceptions of personalities and overall viability. Um, I've been working on that. Um, I also think there's something that can be done about text analysis. So looking at, for example, leaders in social media. So what what do we know about leaders through their tweets, for example, that we don't know or didn't know in the past about them because of other more, I don't want to call it archaic, but but largely archaic methods of, of you know, correspondence or, you know, a lot more managed um face in the media, right? So if you think about the current president of the United States who tweets all the time, as a person on social media, I can glean a lot about his personality from his tweets. And so trying to understand the impact that a, that a social media presence might have and the kinds of things that people say on the internet might have on the way that we perceive them as leaders and how that translates into vote choice. So in the next election, for example, are voters more wary of Donald Trump or less wary of Donald Trump, depending on how they perceive the content of his of his kind of media interventions. Um, and I think that's something that we can do now that we couldn't do in the past that would be really interesting to take a look at. Sort of where do voters get their information from? Um, is it just TV? Is it newsprint? Is it social media? And are these different news sources? Do they have different effects on the way we perceive them and how that translates into vote choice? And I think there's there are scholars who are starting to do some of this work. And it's really, really interesting. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing them kind of push those boundaries even further. Because I suppose the you know the ability for leaders to directly communicate to their voters potential voters now is so much stronger than it was in the past so much stronger and you know there's lots of research that shows that 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 kind of cultivating that 
that personality or the personal vote is a really important feature. You know, we often see questions on um, little straw polls on newspapers saying, you know, which leader would you want to go for a beer with or something like that? And I think that that's one of the ways you can increase your chances of being wanted or sought after go for a beer if you are friendly or on your social media, I would guess would happily have gone for a beer with Obama, for example, because of the way that he portrayed himself in the media as a relaxed guy who cares about a lot of different stuff, who likes to dance, who's friendly, and so on and so forth. And I think those kinds of things can lead to um, political success, um, provided that there's some level of genuineness to them, right? And so again, because voters are people and because people are good at judging others, um, we also are good at spotting fakers, right? And so, you know, not everybody can equally dance in with the media. I mean, there's there's been some some laughing about Theresa May and her dancing recently, you know. So we see this around the world and we think, oh my God, I do not want to go for a beer with her, whereas you would happily go out with Obama. Now, do I think that's only about gender? No, but there is something he does have a relaxed aura about him um, that she does not have. And so I think that, that those are the kinds of dynamics that may, and we don't know this for sure, may increasingly play a role in elections as voters have access to different sources of information than they had in the past. Right, of course. And I think, um, you know, just to talk about Theresa May for a second, one of the most famous things that happened in the run-up to the 2017 election was that she was asked what's the naughtiest thing she's ever done and her response was that she'd run through fields of wheat now you can it is funny response obviously to the question but would a man ever be asked what the naughtiest thing they've ever done was you know it's it's um it's it's interesting it's interesting what you know that there is there is clearly sometimes different treatment uh between the two sexes i would say in thinking about kind of Theresa May and the fields, um, it is the case, so much like that, you know, a lot of men running for office probably wouldn't get asked those kinds of questions. But, you know, just, just similarly, they also wouldn't get asked questions about whether or not they have children and who's going to mind those children. Um, and so we have gendered uh, expectations of, of politicians that um, we just can't help. And some of these things are, you know, they're not conscious. We don't do them on purpose, but we're socialized in this way to think about leaders in different kinds of ways, partly because we've mostly, for the most part, for years and years and years, been, you know, um, exposed to a certain kind of stereotype of what a leader looks like, which is, you know, very masculine, obviously male, has particular kinds of, of um, a physique, perhaps, usually white, et cetera, et cetera. And so those are the kinds of things we kind of think about immediately upon evaluating leaders. So the question about whether or not men are evaluated according to those same those same kinds of markers is one that we're that people are currently exploring right so there's lots of research that shows that women are penalized other research shows that they're not penalized and i think that there's a lot of work being done to tease out the, the patterns to really understand what's going on there um but that and and that's one where perhaps experiments play a bigger role as well because we can actually change these things and just change one tiny variable and not you know, having a natural situation where all these kinds of, of things are controlled is very, very rare. Uh, but survey experiments and lab experiments are great for narrowing these things down um, a little bit. I mean, they, they show us what the kind of um, best case scenario maximal impact 
on perceptions of, of leaders, um, whether or not those maximal impacts translate into real life scenarios that are quite different from the lab um, is very different. Um, and there's a lot of research that shows that actually in real life patterns are different because context is different. Um, so yeah, there's lots of work to be done that's super interesting on this topic, um, whether it's thinking about where information comes from or thinking about how we process it or thinking about the role of new types of faces in politics and how that's going to affect uh, perceptions of leaders both now but also in the future as we become more accustomed to different types of leaders. Um, I would expect that over time our expectations and sort of prototypes of the perfect leader will change over time too. Okay, well, I think that's a great place to wrap up. So thanks so much, Amanda, for coming on. My pleasure. This has been How to Win Arguments with Numbers, which is a production by the QSTEP Centre at the University of Kent. Thanks again to Professor Amanda Bittner for coming on. Apologies for the occasional dip in sound quality. We had some problems with the signal.